Hope you're all doing well this morning. Um, just give you, if you're visiting or um, don't know what's been going on, just give you some context of where we're at at the moment. We've been going through kind of a four-week consideration um, of uh, a, a vision that was uh, shared by John, and there's some booklets still at the back if you want to, to look at those, uh, and to consider where, what direction the Lord is taking us as a church. And so we've been going through that time, and over the past three weeks we've had some uh, messages on that, been meeting during the week to discuss it and pray about it. And we're kind of entering into the home stretch now of that, that period. <clears throat> and this is the last week. Um, and so I was really considering kind of what to speak on today. And I'll be very honest with you, it was really hard because there's been a lot of talking. Um, and there comes a point where you think, I just don't want to talk anymore. Uh, so thank you. No, um, <laughs> I did think, I, I, I was going to say, so it's going to be short today, but then knowing me, there's no guarantee about that whatsoever. Um, but the ultimate thing we want to do in this time is hear God's voice. Because, again, it's interesting when you, you have a consciousness of something, and I've been reading through a lot of the epistles recently, and Paul talks a lot about talking, and often not in a very positive way. He talks a lot about people, uh, things like gossip and like babbling arguments and all these kind of things, and there's it, it, a real warning, it seems, against sometimes too much talking and detrimental talking. And so sometimes we have to tell ourselves to stop talking and start listening. And so we're going to be doing that today. And uh, there's, a, there's a passage that um, I was reminded of, because I've heard it a few times over the past couple of weeks or months, and it's in the Gospel of John. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to it, you can. I'm just going to paraphrase it, really. Um, and it's in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and... Um, it's at the end of the gospel when Jesus has met with his disciples after the resurrection and, um, not yet Dave, God, preempt the punchline. <laughs> what? Uh, chapter 21. And so in verse 15, Jesus is walking along with Peter and we have this famous tr uh, kind of uh, discussion where he says, do you love me and feed my sheep and all these things. Do you love me? And at the end of this, in verse, where is it? Well, my eyes are going, 20. Um, well, I need glasses. Peter turned, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So, and that's John, if you didn't know. John always refers to himself in the third person. It's like this mystery guy. It's like that he's talking about himself. And he said, when Peter saw him, so when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And it struck me that what Jesus then talks to him about, because it's an important thing, you know, when Jesus comes and he wants to deal with us, we have this real tendency of saying, well, what about this person? And what about that person? What about this thing? And what about that thing? When Jesus is actually saying, no, I want to deal with you. I want to talk to you. And Jesus replies to him, if it is my will that you remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. And my kind of um, paraphrase of that is, what's it got to do with you? 
What's it got to do with you? I'm talking to you. Now we can get the slide, Dave. Cue, cue Dave. Because the question is, what is God saying to you? And even like as I've been studying and reading through some of the scriptures, you know, you read things and you think, and if you've ever been in a sermon where you think this as well, you think, so-and-so could really do with this. This would be really good for so-and-so. God really needs to speak this word to this person and that person. And we think always about the other. We think about what God needs to do in somebody else's life. And the danger is when we're thinking this way, we can really miss what is God saying to me? What is God saying to you? And so I want to go through some scriptures today and I'm going to leave this on the screen because even as you hear things, you might hear things and you think, well, so-and-so needs to hear this very much. Particularly if they're not here, you might tweet, tweet them or text them or something and saying, there's a real word for you here today at church. Make sure you listen to the audio or something like that, which may be very true. They may be, there are people who need to hear this who aren't here and who are here. But the danger is we can be so looking at others that we miss what God is trying to say right to us right now. And you know, that's the same for me. And as I, I share through these words and thoughts today, you know what, I'm listening. I want to hear what God is speaking to me because otherwise, you know, otherwise it would just be quite hypocritical, really. And I'm going to be looking in the book of Philippians and God just put this, this letter that Paul wrote, he put it on my heart, and I've just been going through it and looking at some verses. And I just want to pull some things out, give some, uh, ask some questions. But ultimately, I want you to be asking this question throughout. What is God saying to me? What is God saying to me about this? Um, I'm not going to do every verse because we might be here quite a while. But just as I went through, there were some key things that God kind of pulled out to me that I'm going to go through. And the first question I want to ask us is, where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your trust? And if we turn to chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and Paul wrote, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but it's, it's amazing to think that God has begun a good work in each of us. And maybe you're at the stage where you think, I, I really don't know much about God this morning. I'm just starting in my journey. Um, I'm just getting to know God. Or maybe you think, I've been around the block quite a long time. I've, I've been a Christian for ages. Um, regardless of where you're at, it's an incredible thing to think that God, it's God who brings the completion of the work in you. It's God who is working through you when we allow him. And it's God who has, he's going to do this thing. And sometimes, I don't know why, maybe that's why I, I, I sang that song, I need you, Lord, I need you, after Guy shared. Because you know what, if it's down to me to complete the good work, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I might as well curl up and give up because if it's up to me to sort all this stuff out, if it's up to me to sort even my life out, let alone your life, then I'm in trouble. I need God to complete the good work that he's begun in me. 
You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. And he goes on and he says later on in verse 14, and he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you ever read the Bible and you think, I think they might have got the words mixed up here? Because what he says is, the brothers heard about my imprisonment and it gave them confidence to speak out. Now, in our thinking, we would think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Surely if someone's just been put in prison for speaking out, I should therefore be a bit more cautious about being speaking out. But Paul's not saying like that. He said that when he's been put in prison for speaking out, that then gave others confidence. It gave them boldness to go and do the thing that he had been put in prison for. Are we trusting God? Or are we trusting ourselves? Are we trusting our circumstances? Are we entrusting the, the authorities over us? And they went out and spoke with boldness. He goes on to say in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I've never really thought of preaching as a weapon to get to someone uh, you know, who's in prison somewhere. But it's, it's interesting that this preaching was going on and some were doing it really beautifully out of love. Some were doing it out of malicious intentions just to rub salt, it seemed, in Paul's wounds uh, and to get to him. And there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And he says, what then, in verse 18? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. What does he rejoice in? Does he rejoice in that everyone does it his way? No. Does he rejoice that everything is done in a way that uplifts him and encourages him? No. He says, what I rejoice in is that Christ is proclaimed. And that means even when people were doing it out of really bad motives, even when people were being mean in the way, I don't know how you can preach Christ in a mean way, I don't know how, but they found a way. And, you know, even when it was done badly, even when it was done with bad intentions and false motives, Paul was like, you know what? What's brilliant is that Christ is proclaimed. What's brilliant is that the name of God is lifted up. And I don't care why people are doing it, but they're doing it. And it's better that they do that than nothing. And he said, I rejoice and you know, part of that is because it's like, it's not about me. Who cares if they're trying to get to me through this? But Christ is being exalted. And that's the important thing. You know, it's about him. And that leads me to think, another question is, is our life completely given? And as we look at the life of Paul, you begin to see that. So you go on, you read in verse, what verse? 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life 
or by death. Paul had this life that was completely given to God. He was in prison, he was being rejected, he was being maligned by people, and he was saying, I don't care as long as Christ is honoured in my body. That was what was important to him. He had this attitude that he says, even if in life or even in death, so whether I live or whether I die, as long as Christ is honoured in me, I don't care what is happening around me. It's whether Christ is being honoured in me. Because then we see in verse 23, he says, I am hard pressed between the two. He talks about his desire. He said, I could stay here and live um, and be of help to you, or I could die and I'd be at rest and peace with Jesus, which is cool. Um, and he says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Again, Paul was someone who said, it's not about what I want. It's not about what I want. And I, I mentioned this last time I spoke. It's like, what is our motivation? What's our desire? If it's, is it selfish? Is it about what I want? And Paul was like, I'd rather die, thanks. Because when I die, I'm in heaven. I'm, he's, in, he's in prison, you know. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been scourged and whipped. And all these things happening to him. He's like, I've had enough of this. I'd rather be in heaven. He's like, that's nice. You know, death is going to be a great release. I'd rather be there. But for you, it is necessary that I'm here and I'm willing to forego this thing so that you I might do the thing that is necessary for you. And so when we look at Paul's attitude, it was one of givenness and it was one of willingness to forgo his own desires for the benefit of others. If we read in verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent or I might hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. You know, again, what was Paul's goal? Paul's goal was that Christ is honoured. Paul's goal that Christ was glorified in him. And so God is glorified when the lives that we live match the message of the gospel. And there's a real risk that we can live our lives in a way that doesn't match the message of the gospel. And when we do that, God is not glorified. And so the call we have on our life is to say, you know, am I, and he uses this phrase, am I walking worthy? Do you look at my life and say, wow, that's a life that is communicating the gospel? And that was Paul's thought in all things. He said, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, whether I'm in I don't know, probably in Jerusalem or I'm in Rome, wherever I am, if I'm on a ship and I'm bound, whether I'm, you know, enjoying the company of, of brothers and sisters, wherever I am, does my life communicate the reality of the gospel? It reminds me of a time when I was working at Barclays and um, we wanted to run this Christian group. Well, we were running a Christian group, but the official line of, of the company was that we weren't allowed to. You know, that is basically the line of we don't do religion. Um, 
and um, basically you, you could, you got the sense that we could challenge this. You know, we could argue it, we could go to HR, we could go, we, you know, we had, we had people in high places um, who could pull some weight. We could have argued this, we could have proved our point and logically we probably could have won. But at the end of that, would our lives have exhibited the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would our lives have exhibited an attitude that says, you know what, I trust Christ above myself. I, I, I submit myself to him. What would it have actually communicated? And, and the thought was, you know, we could win, but we'd lose. You know? And sometimes we have to think that, you know, I can win, but I'll lose if I lose the, the testimony of the gospel in, my, in the thing that I do. You know, life doesn't come easily, you know. He says, he wanted to hear that they are standing firm. I don't know when you think about, when do you stand firm? I don't know if you've ever been in a real gusty wind or something like that, and you're like, you're like, oh, I've got to stand firm just to kind of resist the thing that is coming. Or if, there's, if you're in the water in the sea and there's a big wave coming, you're like, okay, brace yourself because something's about to hit me. And so if Paul's saying to them, you've got to stand firm, it's not because life's easy. It's not because, you know, there's a gentle breeze kind of coming along and you're paddling in, in, the, in the river. It's because something's going to hit you, something's going to come against you, and you need to stand. And so there's a struggle in there, in life. It doesn't come easy. And he also says to strive to be side by side for the faith in the gospel. You know, walking together doesn't come easy. Unity doesn't come easy. It's something that we have to strive for. And again, so if you think about the whole concept of if you're striving for something, it's working hard for it. It's trying to achieve something that otherwise wouldn't happen. And so when we think about, he says about being of one spirit, one mind, if we think about oneness amongst ourselves as a church, it doesn't come easy. If you're thinking it's just going to happen, then you're going to be upset and disappointed. We have to work at it. I have to work at it. We read on in verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Maybe this isn't the, the message that we often say when you say, we're going to have an altar call. Um, I'm going to, through coming to Jesus, you're going to be blessed, you're going to get life, and you're going to suffer. I don't know how many people would rush to the front when they hear that altar call. But there's something that has been granted to you and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't want that, thank you very much. And I'm not going to, you know, but it's, when you come to Christ, he's saying, I've got something for you. You can suffer for me. And it strikes me again and again that we're in this mollycoddled Christianity that is like, 
the slightest thing that moves us out of our comfort, we react to. And he's saying, no, no, I want you to suffer and maybe even die. Are we willing? Because it's yours for his sake. It says that we make up the suffering in Christ. And I don't really understand fully what that means. But actually, I I just sense that there's something that God is calling us to, that through our suffering, the gospel is revealed more fully to the world. And he's saying, are you, the, are you willing to reveal me to the world? And if you are, that will require suffering. Let me ask another question. Are you willing to be like Christ? Are you willing to be like Christ? It says in chapter 2, Verse five, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So just in the same way he says, I've got a gift for you, which was suffering. He's also saying, I've got a gift for you. It is the mind of Christ. Would you like that? I've got something for you. There's an inheritance for you. It's the mind of Christ. Verse six, he says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Christ didn't hang onto his position. He didn't hang on to his position. It says, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Christ was willing to be a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ was willing to die for others. Are you willing to be like Christ? Will you hang on to your position? Will you be willing to be a servant? Will you be willing to die for others? Because he's saying, I've got this mind for you, the way of thinking, the way of living, it's yours And it's a blessing. And it means to be like him. It means to act in these ways, to to not hang on. Again, it comes back to this question, will you trust him? Because we don't have to hang on to things if we trust him. We don't have to worry about our position, which means that we have an ability to become a servant. He was willing to die because he knew what, Christ, what God had for him. It says in verse 9 and 10, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself, he was exalted. And if we know the scriptures, we, hopefully you know it says that God resists the proud, and gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you this morning, do you want to be resisted or given grace? (laughs) You know, if we stand in in our own strength, if we stand in our own might, and we stand in our own position and saying, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, then that's the proud. Again, just in case we've forgotten, what is God saying to you? 
just want to remind yourself, because again, there's a natural thinking in my mind that I keep thinking, yeah, that person's a bit proud. And fail to see the pride in my own heart in that moment. You know, God says in verse 13, for God, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's it for? Is it for your good pleasure? Because again, we come back to the question, are we willing to give our lives? Are we willing to be like Christ? And the reasoning for it was for God's pleasure. Your life is for his pleasure, not your own pleasure. Have you come, to, we have to come to that position and acceptance of that truth, that it's not about you. It's not about me. The wonderful side truth for that is that when we come to that revelation and we live in God's truth, his grace is sufficient, his grace is wonderful, and we receive blessing upon blessing. But it's not about that, it's about him. It was really interesting thinking about Timothy, because it says, again, later on in verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven, proven worth how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. Timothy was an example of the outworking of this attitude of willing to come under. So Timothy could say, well, you're not my, you're not my real dad. Because Paul had done all this stuff for him and maybe introduced him to Christ and had led him and discipled him. And Timothy became like a son to him. And there was a question there's a kind of a phrase that I wanted to ask us. Because you know what? Through all this, through the wonderful work that God does in your life, you are free. Yeah? yeah. Hopefully you know that. You are free. How do you use your freedom to submit to others? Because submission without freedom is slavery. But if you read through the scriptures, Christ talks about authorities. He talks about um, governments. How do you use your freedom to submit to the government? How do you use your freedom to submit to one another? How do you use your freedom to submit to your husband? Okay, that was some touchy ground there. Because it's our freedom that allows us to submit. Because if it's not how I've done a freedom, I'm saying that's slavery. That's forced upon you and that's not free. But it says Christ has set us free and therefore we have an option to choose to submit. And so when we think about Christ, he chose to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. He didn't have to do it. He chose to become a servant because he was free. He wasn't worried about what people thought about him. He wasn't worried about maintaining his position of saying, you know what, I'm the saviour, don't you know? I don't do things like that. He didn't have to worry about that because he was free. He knew that washing feet didn't contradict his call and his identity. And then when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he had to go through, he was free to say, not my will, but yours be done. He had a freedom to say that. 
Will this be our heart as well? Let me ask you another question. Will you think differently to the world when we come to think about success? Paul, again, these are quite famous verses. I'm sure you've heard them before, but they're worth remembering. Where Paul starts to outline some of his accomplishments. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was like, I'm the Don, I'm the best, I'm the top notch. I've got everything nailed down. I am top of the top, you know. If you look at my accomplishments, they are, you know, you can't better me. You can't better me. This is what Paul was saying. He says, but whatever gain I had, all the things that everyone thinks were worth something, all the things that everyone thought were worth having that gave me the status, gave me the, the, the whatever, you know what I mean. Whatever they were, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Do you, will you have the mind of God that says it's not about how the world defines things, it's about how God defines things. Do you find yourself having that mind or are you still striving for something in order to gain something? And that's the wrong type of striving. There's good striving, strive for unity, (laughs) strive for oneness, but don't strive for the things that God doesn't want you to have. He says, for his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order order that I might gain Christ. And there are things that will stop us from gaining Christ. Because again, if you're saying, you know what, I want more of God. I want to hear God. I want these things. There are things that will stop you from gaining Christ because they are not rubbish in your life. They're still treasures that you're clinging on to. And I, again, I know this for myself. And I think, why am I still clinging on to that? Because it's rubbish. And then the next day I'm like, oh, am I precious? You know, I think, oh, isn't this such a wonderful thing to have? Isn't this? And then the next day I'm like, oh, what? That's rubbish. It's like, Lord, make me have this mind where nothing is anything. No, all things are nothing. Let's say, I think I just contradicted. Have the mind that all things are nothing in comparison to knowing you. That I'm willing to give up everything. And this is where we heard about it when we've heard about discipleship over these weeks where he says, you know what, if you're not, willing to leave home and father and mother for my sake. You know, if you're not willing to give this up, if you're not willing to sell all that you have, whatever it might be, whatever that treasure is, if you're not willing to lay that down as if it were rubbish, then you will not know me. (coughs) 
when we release these things, it leads to a deeper knowledge of Christ. And we become like him. It says in verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, we become like him in his life. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? And may share in his suffering. Becoming like him in death. You know, sometimes we're like, yeah, I want the power of his resurrection, but am I willing to share in his suffering that through, will take me through death to be like him? And we wonder why we have not come to the place we want to be because we're not willing to go through that cross in our own hearts and our own lives. As we said, take up your cross and follow me, which is what this is talking about. Come to that place of death where everything is nothing, that you might have everything in him. You know, we, we have, uh, you might call it an upside down gospel. To God, it's a completely right way up gospel, but to us, it's upside down. It says, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. The thing that you hold on to, you realize is dust and nothing. But if you give up your life for him, if you say, God, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to follow you and give everything for you, that is where you find life. And so if you're looking for life this morning, if you're looking for something greater, it's in death. It's in saying, God, my life is over. My new life is to follow you. Amen? Amen. Hope that's good news to some of you. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Do you need to grow? Do you need to grow? I'm going to read in verse, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It says, let those of us who are mature, think this way. I don't know if you think you're mature. But the danger is sometimes we think, you know what, I've, I've been here a while. Like for me, I, I've been a Christian nearly 30 years. And you think, yeah, I should have it nailed down by now. And you, he's saying the mature need to be of a mindset that thinks I have not attained it, but I need to press on to gain it. Because sometimes you're in that position where you think, I know I haven't got it. I know I don't know it. I know that when you talk about these things in the Bible, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about half the time. And you know your lack, you know your need for more. But sometimes we get in this position where we think, I've heard this before. These, these verses in Philippians are very well known. I've heard it all before. And we can be at risk of staying in one place instead of pressing on for the more of God that he has for us. We all need to grow. We all need to move on and move and 
greater depths of God, whatever they may be. One last question then. Are you finding your peace in God? Are you finding your peace in God? We read in chapter four, going to start in verse, just go from verse six. It's a good place to start. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. It doesn't say, I can understand you're anxious about some things. It's saying, you do not have to be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And you know, it's our relationship with God that allows us to come into this place where we do not have to be anxious because we can come to him, because we can talk to him, it means he, he knows what's going on in your life. He hears your cries. He knows your heart even before you say it. He knows what's going on and you can trust him. So no matter what our situation, we can trust him. Our peace in God is not dependent on our situation. Our peace in God is dependent upon him, who he is, his faithfulness, his strength, his just enormousness. Because if God is all those things, then who can pluck you out of his hand? Who can do something to you that God has not ordained for them to do? So if you're worried about something, saying, just come and give it. Give it to me. I've got it. I've got it. I can handle that. You don't have to worry about that. doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not going to be striving and difficulty in situations. You know, when they were in the storm on the boat and they were being tossed to and fro, there might have been some of them who were puking up over the side. You know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel the what's going on in your circumstance, but don't be anxious about it. Know that he will see you through and his will will be performed in your life. How do we do this? It says in verse eight, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, we need to have heavenly minds. And the reason we often will move out of the purposes of God is because we give our ear to things that we shouldn't give our ear to. We join in conversations that are not helpful to us. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Verse 9 says... What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you want peace in your circumstances? Then practice these things. Because sometimes we think, I want peace, but then we don't do the thing that God is telling us to do. But he's saying, if you do the thing that I've shown you, if you do the thing that I've told you, then the peace of God will be with you. 
Again, another great verse. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And for me, what that is really saying is that, you know, whatever situation God puts you in, whatever's going on, he will give you the strength to see it through. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not put you in situations that are beyond you. But he will put you in things that if you call out on him, he will strengthen you sufficiently to see it through. And that might mean, as we talked about, going through the suffering. But you'll go through it. And when we do these things, when we're living our life in a way that it is Christ who is strengthening us, then that is a life that is a witness and is glorifying, is honourable to him. Let me finish just with verse 19 and 20. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, whatever your need is this morning, God will supply it. And I will encourage you that wherever you're feeling, whatever is going on in your heart, Again, come before him. Say, God, what is it you're saying to me? If you want, go back, read. To be honest, any of the epistles, they're all good in that sense. To say, God, what, how are you telling me to live in this time? How are you telling me to be? And it's because of the work that he's done in you. It's because of the freedom that he's given you. It's because of the spirit that is within you that you are able to live the life that he's called you to live. It's enabled you to be the person that he wants you to be, to endure hardship, to go through suffering, struggles, difficulty. Keep looking to him. Because if you look to me, I'm going to disappoint you. If you look to John, he's going to disappoint you. If you look to your husband, to your wife, to your friend, to your children everyone's going to disappoint you eventually. If you look to God, he is the source of life. And he's saying, therefore, even when you go through things that are difficult, and I actually, it just reminded me, there's a verse. Has anyone got the New Living Translation? Oh, I haven't got it open on my phone. I'll get there. I'm there, actually. It's actually, I love the, the version they had of chapter 3, verse 1. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And through everything that we're going through, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Keep him there and he will see us through. Amen.